Good morning. We are going to learn today the fourth Aliyah and the fifth Aliyah. We're going to talk about the laws of kosher. Moshe is going to remind all the Jewish people all the laws of the kosher animals that we had already learned. But he begins with the following words. This is how the chapter 14 begins. Banim atem la'ashem elokeichem, which means you are children to Hashem your God. And because you are children to Hashem your God, you're being held to a higher standard and Hashem has a certain uh, level of holiness and spiritual elevation, a spiritual status that He expects of you that is more than He would expect from the other people that's not, although every single human being is His child, we are Hashem's chosen children, His firstborn, and He demands of us, right? You see, I remember this for sure, you know, you see other kids misbehaving and your parent only rebukes you. What about them? They're misbehaving. What would your mother say? They're not my child. I definitely heard that when I was a child. So, um, You are children to Hashem your God. And therefore, first of all, do not make any cuts on your skin. Don't make any gashes. It was a sign of mourning. People were mourning. They were, in those times, the Canaanite culture, the Amorite culture, was to self-wound. Uh, I don't know if there's a word for it. Mutilate. Self-mutilate. There you go. Thank you. To self-mutilate. To self-harm uh, themselves as an expression of their grief and mourning that uh, someone had died. You should not make a karcha. You should not pull out, make bald spots and pull out your hair. Also a sign of mourning, a sign of grief. You should not do any of that. These are emirate practices which you must shun. And actually here the commentaries tell us is that Moshe on his own introduces the laws of Shiva, of seven days of mourning. In the Torah, we only have a biblical obligation of the one day. And it's a Kabbalah Moshe Messina. The idea of seven days of Shiva is a tradition for Moshe at Mount Sinai, not a law from God, but that Moshe uh, extended on his own. And then he continues and he says, Ki am kadosh atal Hashem You are an Am Kadosh. What's an Am Kadosh? A holy nation. The word Kadosh, Kedush is also from the word separated. When something is made holy, it's separated from everything else. Like the act of marriage is called Kedushin. It's the act of separating this woman from everyone else and being dedicated. It's a, it's a union that just you and her, each other, no one else. So, Am Kadosh Atal Hashem you are a holy nation to Hashem your God. And Hashem has chosen you to be for Him, for an Am Segula, a chosen nation, a cherished nation. You call the Am from all the other nations of the earth that are living on the face of the earth. And therefore, you have unique obligations. That's not about we're better, it's because we're chosen, we have unique obligations and unique uh, standards that other people don't have to have, but we as Jews need to have. What are these obligations? Let's say, you may not eat anything that God considers disgusting. There's a whole long list of things that are considered disgusting. We're going to get to them in one second. But in addition to that, even something which is not inherently disgusting, but let's say a firstborn animal, that a person went and deliberately made a blemish on that animal, or a person took kosher meat and mixed kosher milk into it, etc. In these situations, you've taken something which wasn't unholy or unkosher, and now you did something to make an act to make it disgusting in the eyes of Hashem, you are no longer allowed to eat that thing which you made disgusting. So you blemish the animal, you cannot eat from the animal. Now from the cam- from the mammals, which animals are you allowed to eat? These are the animals you're allowed to eat. From domesticated animals, an ox, which includes within that any kind of cattle, cows, etc. A lamb, and any other kind of sheep. And a goat kid, and any other kind of goat. Those are the domesticated animals that a person can eat. From the wild, undomesticated animals, we can eat a deer, a gazelle, a fallow deer, an ibex, an adex, 
a bison and a wild sheep. Okay? So they're hard to shecht. Have a great day. They're hard to slaughter, but if you catch them and you can uh, tie them down, etc., and you can shecht them, and all those animals are kosher animals as well, although they could not be brought in the temple. In addition to the Torah, how do we know what's considered a kosher animal or not? If it chews its cud and it has split hooves, then you know that it's a kosher animal. And here you see, uh, there's, um, and then the Torah says, those are the animals that you could eat. So you have both a negative commandment and a positive commandment. The Torah first said that uh, these are the animals that you could eat. And then it goes and says, Achazel lo tochlu. These are the ones that you cannot eat. So there's a, both a positive and a negative. And the Torah specifies specifically, oh, in addition, if you have one of these animals with the split hooves and the uh, choose its cud, and you slaughter the mother, the child, the unborn fetus inside that mother is considered slaughtered together with the mother that you slaughtered. Um, and however, Torah gives some exceptions, not exceptions, some uh, unique circumstances. You have some animals that have only one of these two signs. So, an animal that only uh, regurgitates its cud or has only split hooves, you cannot eat. So, for example, the camel, the hyrax, and the hare, a rabbit, they chew their cud, but they don't have split hooves, and therefore they're not kosher. In addition, the pig, the chazer, the very famous pig, the Jews know we're not allowed to eat, has completely split hooves, cloven feet, but it does not regurgitate its cud, and therefore by eating it, you'll become spiritually defiled. Now, I always say this, why is it, you see in the Torah here, we know today Jews, and many, many Jews, that are careful not to eat pig. They're only ham, they're only bacon, but they'll eat, they'll eat rabbit, and they'll eat camel meat, they don't, maybe they don't know, they're not careful. And the Torah, the same exact way the Torah says not to eat a pig, is, and the Torah mentions, not to eat, the Torah says not to eat a camel, not to eat rabbit, not to eat hyrex, whatever a hyrex is. But they're not careful about that. Why are people, why are Jews so careful about the pig more than any other animal? Just a teaching. Now what's the unique, what's the unique spiritual defilement? The unique spiritual impurity of a pig? It's deceptive, exactly. It looks like it's kosher. It pretends like it's kosher. So if the animal chews its cub but it doesn't have to be it's not kosher. You might, if you do an autopsy on the animal, you discover it chews its cub, okay, it's not kosher. The pig is sitting in mud till its nose, but it sticks out its feet. It says, look at me, I have split hooves. I'm a kosher animal. So because it shows off its quote-unquote looking kosher status, that's why there's an extra, became culturally, there's people an extra uh, aversion to pig. Anyway, that's regarding these animals, or it specifies again that you may not eat from these animals. If you eat from them, you, uh, are, you are considered violating a sin. Um, but it's only a sin if you eat the flesh of the animal. You are allowed to eat from the bones of the animal, theoretically, or the skin of the animal. Most people don't eat the skin of the animal, but you are allowed to get benefit from it. So you are allowed to wear clothing made from the skin of a pig, or to wear jewelry made from the bones, or you know, whatever. I don't know, jewelry made from bones, but whatever. You know what I'm saying? You can wear stuff, you can use the other parts of the pig, are not forbidden to eat or to get benefit from. Okay. Then the Torah continues about the fish in the water. What's considered kosher fish? Whatever has fins and scales. If it has fins and scales, then it is kosher. But whatever does not have fins and scales, 
That is considered a spiritually defiled fish, and if you eat it, you'll become spiritually defiled. I should clarify, it doesn't make you impure. It doesn't make you ritually defiled. It only makes you spiritually defiled. Okay. Then regarding the birds. Which birds are you allowed to eat? So the Torah gives you a list of all the birds that are, um, that are, that are, that are not kosher. Meaning, the standard default setting of a bird in the Torah, biblically, would be that a bird is kosher. Unless it's one of the following 22 or 24 birds. I don't remember that right now. I think it's 24. What are they? The, uh, the griffin vulture, the bearded vulture, the osprey, other species of vulture, species of crow, ostrich, the cuckoo, the gull, any species of the sparrow hawk, the screech owl, the barn owl, the bat, the pelican, the magpie, the cormorant, the stork, any species of heron, the hopi, the atalaif, that was 19. So I don't know why I thought it was 24. Anyway, so all those are non-kosher birds. All the ones I just mentioned. Any other bird is kosher. However, what's the problem? We're not sure what all those birds that I just mentioned are. Well, all birds are prey, yes. But um, I just said English translations of the Hebrew, with the exception of the atalef, that there is no translation. We don't even know what the atalef is. But if you were to open them, when we learned this the first time, if you were to open up any other Chumash with the English translation, you will find different English translations than what I just said. So I'm using the Kahas Chumash. If you open the Art School Chumash, I am pretty sure that not, this English list would not be the same. Obviously, the Hebrew words would all be the same, but the English translation wouldn't be the same. If you open up a, you know, the stone chumash, it might be different. You know, we could do an uh, experiment later. Why is that? Because there is no clarity on what words these Hebrew names are referring to. So we have a big problem today. Yes, you can eat any bird besides for the ka'as, rachama, shalach, chasida, na'afal, and the duchi, and the atalev, but we don't know what those are. So today, the only birds that we eat are birds that we have a tradition, we have a mesora tradition, that they're kosher birds. So if the bird has a tradition that it's kosher, that's great. If there's no tradition that it's a kosher bird, we don't eat from it. Which is why, we talk about this, a very interesting example is turkey. Turkey, uh, most Jews eat turkey. However, some Jews say there's no, there was no tradition about turkey when it came to America was a wild, uh, a wild uh, turkeys from India, wherever they came from. And so some just said, we don't know where this bird came from. It came to Europe, from America. We don't know where this bird came from. That's why, and, and they didn't want to eat it. And I said, it's kosher. They did it. You know, it looks like a chicken, whatever. And one day, the, I think it was a shalah, saw a turkey attacking another bird. This is a bird of prey. And he forbade his family and all of his descendants from ever eating from this bird. He said, we don't have a tradition that this is a kosher, even though it's not one of the 24 listed, uh, or 19 listed non-kosher birds. It's a bird of prey, it can't be kosher. Anyway, that's regarding the kosher birds and non-kosher birds. So basically chicken and duck, that makes this one? No, any, any p- pigeon, hens, uh, all those little birds that fly around, doves. Can't have eagle soup. No eagle soup. <laughs> the general rule today, the general rule, as Stanley said, is if it's a bird of prey, it's not going to be kosher. All the small little birds that are not birds of prey would be kosher. Understand? Yeah. Um, how do you know if uh, you eat an animal, a bird has a baby inside? Birds don't have babies. Birds don't have babies inside. They only have eggs inside. You can eat an egg, yes. Yeah, eggs are kosher. Okay, now what about creeping, crawling things? Every crawling creature that flies, such as flies and wasps and mosquitoes, you know, all those yummy things, 
They are and any forbidden species of grasshoppers. They make you spiritually defiled. If you eat them, therefore says the Torah, you may not eat them. However, the Torah says, Kol tahar any kosher bird you could eat. So here again, you see a positive and a negative. You have a list of birds you can't eat, and the Torah says, kosher bird you could eat. Which means if you eat a non-kosher bird, you're both violating a positive and a negative commandment. You understand? There's a mitzvah say to eat kosher birds, a mitzvah losa say not to eat non-kosher birds. Okay? Then the Torah tells us not to eat from any nevela. What's a nevela? A dead animal. It's a kosher cow, but it wasn't slaughtered. It died a natural death. It just died. You know, it got old and it croaked and it died. Or it uh, got hit by a car. I don't know. It died. That animal, it's a nevela. You may not eat from it. However, it's not forbidden to get benefit from it. So you can sell it to a non Jew. You can, you know, make money off of it. But you cannot eat it because, as the Torah ends off, because you are a holy nation to Hashem your God. And therefore, do not cook a gid, a kid, a baby goat, in its mother's milk. Which is prohibition is not only about a baby goat in the milk of its mother, it's of any meat from any mammal in any milk from any mother, which has, and it says three times, to include the prohibition of benefit, of cooking it, and of eating it. So unlike all the kosher, non-kosher animals we just talked about, that you can get benefit from them, and you can sell the meat and whatever, Meat and milk combinations, you cannot sell, you cannot cook them for a non-Jew, you cannot be involved in any production of combining meat and milk, but it has to be meat that comes from a mother, has to be milk that uh, comes from a, you know, from a mammal, etc. There's a lot of detail, we'll leave it for that. Okay, then the Torah continues. Next Aliyah, Aser <coughs> Ta'aser is Koltua Zarecha. <clears throat> you shall surely give a tithe of all of the produce of your field, whatever grows that year. Every year for that year to give for that year. Don't say, next year I'll give more. This year I have a lot of bills. Next year I'll pay double uh, tithes. Every year you need to give the tithe from that year. You cannot push it off to the next year. Now, what's the connection of not cooking a goat in its mother's milk to asa to asa of giving charity, of giving 10% of your, of your produce to charity? So Rashi tells us what's the connection. The Torah goes from cooking a you know, meat and milk, cooking a kid in his mother's milk, to the tithing. Says Rashi, don't, if you won't give miser, if you will produce produce, and you will not give 10% of that income to the Levites who serve in the base of Mikdash, you will metaphorically force God to cook a child in its mother's milk, meaning that God will take the husks of grain that are growing in the field while they're still developing, and he will cook them. He will make the weather get very hot, and they will become ruined, and they will not ripen properly. So if you think you're going to save money by not giving charity, you should know, instead of saving money, instead of causing Hashem to make your crops die out and to not be as successful, because you did not give charity from the income that you have. Um, so now let me, before we go further, let me explain. So there's different tithes that a person had to give. Today, we have it pretty easy. Today we just give 10% one time and you're good to go. <clears throat> in the temple times, a person had a field had to give multiple tithes. So the first was, you had the bukurim, you had the first fruits. First fruit that was brought to Jerusalem and offered up as a special offering for Hashem. That you uh, had the whole bukurim prayers on it and all that with the baskets. That was just the first, the first uh, bundle, the first uh, cluster that harvested. Then you had the truma. Truma was the first 
50th or 60th or 40th, depending on how generous you want it to be, was not an exact amount mentioned in the Torah, that was brought to the Kohanim, to the priests. Then you have the first Meiser, that's called Meiser Rishon, which is the first 10% of your field. That first 10% is given to the Levites. Every single year, well, yeah, go Levite. Every year, every year besides for the Shemitah year, during the Shemitah year you didn't have to give Meiser because you weren't producing in your field. So for the other six years of the seven-year cycle, you would give to the Levites 10% of what you produced. Why did you give them 10%? Because the Levites did not have land in the land of Israel. Their income was what they collected from the Jewish people. Hashem deliberately wanted it this way in order that the Levites should have to integrate and be involved with the Jews by going to the granaries and the threshing fields, etc., to collect the tithes. That's where they would interact with the Jews and they would raise the spiritual uh, level of the Jewish people by constantly interacting with them. And just like today, by the rabbis being forced to fundraise, you have to interact with the community. So it's, uh, always we never had to fundraise. You sit in our office all day studying Torah, preparing classes, and it would be beautiful. And uh, so that's the Levites. The Levites were what we today would call the rabbis, was the Levites then. Then they didn't have shoals and rabbis. They had Levites that would travel around from field to field who lived in all the cities of Israel. They did not have their own little uh, enclave, you know, the little, gather, little places. And they would teach and guide and make sure the spiritual purity of the Jewish people was on the right level. In addition to that first tithe, there was a second tithe. In year number one, year number two, year number four, and year number five, this second tithe was called Meister Sheni. It was brought to Jerusalem to be eaten in Jerusalem by the owner as a celebration before Hashem. So you would take the tithe, the second 10% after the first 10%, and this you, would, you didn't have to bring it as it was. You could sell it, you can, and then come to, to Jerusalem and buy meat and wine and oil and all the good stuff that you wanted. And then when you came for the holidays, the food that you would eat during the holidays was paid for with this Meiser Shani, the second tithe of the first, second, fourth, and fifth year. In the third and in the sixth year, you had to give the Meiser, the second tithe, to the poor people in your cities. This is in addition to the Leka, the Shikha, the Peya, which is the corner of your field, and any bundles that you drop behind, and any, uh, any wheat that when you were gathering it, one or two stalks that fell down, you would leave them on the floor. So every year, the poor would go through the field after the owners harvested and collect whatever was left behind, plus the corner of the field that was left for them. In addition to that, in addition to the mitzvah of helping a poor person in general, the third and the sixth year of the seven-year cycles, the second tithe was given exclusively to the poor people in, uh, in the cities. Okay? That's going to be what we'll talk about. So we'll go more into that t- tomorrow.